We are almost home. <laughs> what a great encouraging thought that one day we will spend eternity with our Lord and Savior. It don't get no better than that, I'm here to tell you. Glad that you guys are here today. Today we're going to be in the book of Ephesians if you want to turn there. Before we get started, let's, uh, Brian, let's pray for me. Will you please, bud? Thank you. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, Brian. We're going to be in Ephesians 4, and we're going to start here at verse 17 in just a second. You know, last week we started a little bit of a series called A Picture of a Christian. And what a, as believers, what are we supposed to look like? And if we have been born again, how do we, how do we flesh that out? How do we show appreciation and gratitude for for all those many blessings that God has given to us. And if you remember last week, we won't go through those blessings again, but just how abundantly God has, has blessed us. And, and as Christians, how do, we, how do we respond to that? We know as a believer our lives are to be different than an unbeliever's life. And we're going to look at that today. Last week we talked about walking in a manner worthy of the calling where, where the apostle was talking to us as Christians and he said that, that, that walking, that living that you're doing, you need as Christians to walk in all humility. You need to walk in all gentleness and meekness and you need to live a life of patience and tolerance all wrapped around this idea of love. That is a picture of a believer. That kind of a heart that we have is to be humble and to be gentle and to be patient with others. And if that is the case, and that's who we are as Christians, he told us in that next verse that we are to be unified. We are to be together. We are to be in the bond of love, to be unified in, in the Spirit. And he went on to talk about, about that. Uh, we are to preserve it, to be diligent, to be unified. And I told you last Sunday that the first thing this church said on Wednesday night was the most important thing we need to pray for is unity. See, that's what it's talking about. Unity, unity in the home. Unity in the church. Unity in our family relationships. Because when there's unity, there is blessing and there are praise to God the Father. We are united in many ways, if you remember what we talked about, we are united in, in the body of Christ. And we talked about this. And we said, as Christians, we are all bound together. And, and, and Paul said, you know, there's just, there's just one body. And that is the body of believers. That is a body of believers. That is this body here. That is this body in Oklahoma. This body 
of Christians that are in Africa and Ukraine and all around the world. There is only one body, and that is the body of Christ. He also said, if you remember, that unity comes from the, the idea that there is one Spirit, one Holy Spirit. When you got saved, the Holy Spirit came into your life and resides in your life, and we get direction from that, and we are taught truth from that. And He shows us a path of righteousness in which to live. Every born-again believer will have that Holy Spirit. We have one hope, Paul says, that hope that God will do exactly what he said he would do, that he would fulfill every promise. It's not a want to be or I hope so. It is a confident assurance that God will do exactly what he has said. We also have one Lord. There's only one Lord in this old world that he's not, and his name is Jesus. It is the Son of God. He is God Almighty. He is Jehovah. He is no other name. But the, but the Lord God who we serve. We also have one faith. We talked about Jesus is the, the way, the life, and the truth. No man comes to the Father but by Him. We have one Lord. We have one faith. We have one baptism. There's only one baptism. And we also have, just have one God, God, God the Father, who loves us unconditionally. And he said, and Paul says, you know, those are the things that, that, that we are bound together And if we are bound together with those things, we have those characteristics, and every Christian has those within themselves, then we must live in unity with our our fellow brethren. We must live in peace. We must live in harmony. Because one day, one day, I'm here to tell you that all Christians will, will gather together in that heavenly home, and we will be united at that point, Christians from all over the world. We are to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. Today we're going to take it a little bit of a different approach. <laughs> we're going to not, not so much give a, a picture of a Christian, but we're going to give a picture of an unbeliever. Uh, what, is a, what are the characteristics of an unbeliever? And, and my hope and my prayer is this, that, that as, as believers, you will not have any of these in your life, okay? Because what we will see, and we'll get a verse in just a minute, that the kind of things that Paul is talking about of the unbeliever is he will say they are an abomination to the Lord. And that's never good <laughs> to follow after what, would be, what the Lord calls an abomination. So let's look at uh, starting verse 17, if you would, please, and see what the, the life of an unbeliever will look like, uh, that person who is not saved. And we'll start in verse 17. And it says this, So this I say, and affirm together with the Lord. So this is Paul saying, this is the Lord's idea. This is not mine. This is the Lord speaking here as I'm writing this. He says that you no longer just, you no longer, you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from this life of God, because of ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their hearts. And they, having become calloused, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. That is the life of an unbeliever. And I want to just look at those five characteristics, five traits real quickly today of an unbeliever in hopes and praying that, that none of these apply to you. And then we'll swing back at the end of it. We'll go to verses 28 through 24 and find the positive side of all of this. The first thing Paul will tell us, and you see there 
is they walk in the futility or the vanity of their own mind. You see, the believer believes nothing about God. They have no thought about God. They push God out of their minds. And when they push God out of their minds, they become empty and void of God's truth and God's immorality. They have nothing to do with God. You know, Ron and I were talking the other day and, and uh, about life and different kinds of things. And, 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 and she made the statement, how can people believe like that? How can they believe like that? And, and I got to thinking about, yeah, how can they believe like that? How can they believe that abortion is good? The killing of an unborn. How do they, how do they get there in their minds? How do, how do they get there where, where what God says is an abomination and our society says, no, that's good. Homosexual is good. How do we get to the point in, in a person's mind that says, there's more than just two genders? I mean, there's folks over here will say there's 40 or 50 different kinds of combinations of genders. How do they get to that point in their mind? How do they get to the point in their mind that says everything is, is good? Everything, everybody's going to go to heaven when they die. And there's no, everything is truth. And truth is whatever you want to make it. And we were talking about how do they get to that point? How does an unbeliever, how does a person get to that point that says, this is okay. This is good stuff. And it, and it comes back to just that first point. An unbeliever is futility or vanity of their mind. And when they wipe God out of their thought process, they are emptying and they are void of God's truth and God's morality. And they live their lives accordingly. They, they, they pursue the things of this old world that says this stuff is good. They pursue those little G-gods in their life. They pursue those idols in their life where they think that worldly pleasures is where it's at. I'm going to do my thing no matter what, and I'm going to be happy about that. They pursue worldly possessions thinking that that will bring them happiness and satisfaction. They will pursue worldly power. That's where it's at. They will pursue worldly popularity. And think that's where it's at. I'll be popular and everybody, and it's, it's going to make my life good. And yet we know as Christian, none of that is fact. None of that works out. You can't, you can't continue to be happy with the world's pleasures and the world's possessions. It just doesn't work that way. And yet their mind says that is where we want to be. Psalms 10.4 says this, the wickedness in his haughtiness of his count, countenance. That is basically what he's saying in his pride and his self-assurance. The wicked in their pride and self-assurance does not seek him. All his thoughts are there is no God. They have no time for God because in their mind it's filled with other, other stuff. Proverbs fifteen twenty six says this. The thoughts of the wicked are an abomination. The thoughts of the wicked are an abomination. You never want to be called abomination when you're talking about God. They believe life is, is how they want to make it. Proverbs 16, 25, and this is one that I've told you many times, there's a way that seems right unto man, but in the end leads to death and destruction. 
You see, the, the mind of the, of the unbeliever says there is no God. I do not need God. I just need to ignore God. I need just to reject God because I want to live my life however I want to live it. And I want to encourage you as Christians, we can never allow our minds to be empty of the things of God. We can never walk away from God's truth and God's love and God's morality. There is a reason why God has said this is good and this is abominations. It's not to keep us from having pleasure. It is to keep us to have life and a life more abundantly. Believers, we can never allow our minds to be filled with the world's uh, issues and the world's problems and the world's solutions. Because they never work. They will never, ever work. Romans 12, 2 says this, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why is it that I want you in his scripture reading it daily? Why do I want you to come to Bible study? Why do I want you to spend time in prayer so that your mind is being transformed in the things of God and not the things of the world? If Satan can fill your mind with trash, and he will, and he will, he'll do it. We must be transformed. We must keep our minds and our eyes on the Lord, and we must embrace we must embrace the truth of God's word. There is nothing that is not true about God's word. He'll never break a promise. He'll never say, oops, I forgot. Oops, I'm, that's a mistake. We stand on his word. And we fill our minds with his word. The second thing we see there coming down at the beginning in verse 18 for the unbeliever, he is being darkened in their understanding. The unbeliever does not understand or grasp anything about God. Their pursuit is worldly pleasures. Their pursuit is, is all about me and nothing about God. And I, I believe for most unbelievers in this world, they do not understand. And I believe they could just care less. They could just care less about it. I know last, uh, last May I was, uh, I got to preach at the uh, baccalaureate service. You know, the kids are graduating and everything, and kids are all sit up here, and a big, big crowd back up in there. And, and I remember <clears throat> preaching on just a parable of the two roads. And you know this parable. The, one of the roads is, was, is a wide road with a wide gate. And the Bible says, you know, most, most everybody's on this road. And, that, and the Bible says that road leads to destruction. And then I talked about the, the narrow road and the narrow gate where very few people are on it. But this road leads to life. And what Jesus is saying is if, if you choose this narrow road, if you choose to follow me and accept Christ as Lord and Savior, there's not going to be many folks on this road, but this road will take you to life now. In a life of eternity. And I was trying to encourage those graduates that, that, man, you have a choice. We're going to be one day on one of those two roads. You will choose which road you're going to take. You're going to choose that little narrow road and give your heart and life to Christ. You're going to choose that broad road like most other people do. And that road will lead 
you to destruction. And as I preach that message to him, just real quick, a lot of just blank faces on his front rows. And you look out there in that audience of 100 and maybe 150 blank faces. Blank faces. I just so discouraging thinking that they don't understand they don't believe and I also, and I'm not sure they really care if they believe and I gave this message and it's like they're going oh. Christians we can never be like that this word is sharper than a two-edged sword this word points us to life this word teaches us how to live life. This teaches us what eternal life is. This is not ho-hum stuff. This is not... <gasps> this is the word of God. God who created the universe. Wrote this down. Just for us. So that we would understand how much he loved us. This word is never boring. It is God's word. And as Christians, we must understand that. You know, 2 Timothy 3, 7 says this. Always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of truth. Isn't that true? I mean, we can go, you can push a button today, and you can get anything that you ever want to know at the push of a button. Now, I say that. Now, for me, that's a struggle because I never know what bus, which button I'm supposed to be pushing right there. Okay, I'm computer illiterate, I guess. But you know my point. You can get anything that you want to get. You can listen to any preacher you want to listen to. And I know there's people that are sitting home right now in this community that are sitting home watching some preacher on TV. And you can get all kind of preachers. You can listen to all kind of good ones. You can also listen to some not so good. Some that maybe don't preach the right gospel. You got to be careful. You got to be careful. I heard one guy, I didn't hear him. I just thought they were interviewing him. And I won't tell you who he was. But he said, you know, the Lord Jesus has not come back yet. Because you have not given enough money. Into this account. You hear that? I'm telling you, you turn the channel before you get there. Somebody accused him of being a millionaire. He said, no, that's not right. That's not right. Multi, he said, millionaire. And proud of it. You got to be careful who you listen to on the news and on the radio. Proverbs 4, 19 says this, The way of the wicked is like darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. Okay? We live in the light. The wicked live in the darkness. I would encourage you never to become complacent with God's word. Never think it's ho-hum. Never think it's not a big deal. If you read something and you don't understand it, I would be asking the Holy Spirit to teach you. Or I would be asking my preacher to help find an answer for it. This book is alive and it's exciting. There is some really good stuff in here. There's some good stuff that if you've never read the Old Testament, you would go, what? That's in here? 
Oh, yeah, you get into, get into jo, jo, uh, Joshua and Judges, First and Second Kings. Oh, my goodness. There's some stuff in there that will curl your toes. I'm not going to tell you what it is. I'm going to let you look it up, okay? Uh, we must never allow ourselves to be blinded from the truth of God's word. The unbeliever is blinded. The unbeliever is darkened. His eyes cannot see the good. We can never be like that, fellow believers. Third thing we see there is that we are separated from God through ignorance and a hardened heart. Unbelievers are separated from God because of their ignorance and a hardened heart. The unbeliever is spiritually dead, is he not? The unbeliever says, I don't need God in my life. Church is boring. Reading God's word is a waste of time. Prayer is a waste of time. I don't need any of that kind of stuff in my life. And the longer an unbeliever believes that and lives that, the harder the person's heart is going to become. What causes a person's heart to be hardened? And this can happen to a Christian. It can happen to an unbeliever. What happens when when the things of God just don't seem to be like they used to be? What happens when we don't have the kind of love that we know we're supposed to have? What happens when our heart kind of gets a little bit hardened to the things of God, just not as exciting as it used to be? What causes those kinds of things? For the unbeliever, it's unconfessed sin in their life. For the believer, it's unconfessed sin in their life. It's the very same thing that causes it. We cannot allow ourselves to be ignorant of the fact. And I've spoken on that, so I won't keep going on that. But we cannot be ignorant of what's in here. Because if we were ignorant of what is in here, the enemy will tell you what's in here. Mom and dad, grandpa and grandma, if you're not teaching those little kiddos what's in this word... The world will teach you what's in this word. And it'll be twisted and it'll be wrong. You must be teaching God's word to those little ones. Because if you don't, somebody else is going to. We don't want our next generation to be ignorant of the fact of what God says. We don't want them to be ignorant of the fact that God loves them and that Jesus died for them and rose on the third day and gave them salvation. If we don't teach them that, who is going to? The world's going to, and they're going to say, that is nothing but hogwash and garbage, and forget it. We already have colleges around this world, around America for sure, that are teaching there is no God. We've got one just down the road about uh, uh, 90 miles, and the initials are OU. And I know this for a fact. They are teaching stuff that is non-biblical, and they are feeding and indoctrinating our college students with garbage, that there is no God, that, this, that's, that communism and socialism is right. And if we don't send our kids off with a foundation of God's word, somebody else will give them a foundation, and it's not God's word. I challenge every parent, every grandparent, to begin right now to understand that I want you to teach God's word. Do not allow them to be ignorant. Do not allow them to have a hardened heart. When, when sin starts piling up, in your life, the heart becomes hardened for the unbeliever and also for the Christian. What do we do as a Christian when our heart begins to be hardened towards the things of God? We confess and we repent 
And the Bible says what? I will forgive you and I will clean you up. We are supposed to have soft hearts for the things of God. I challenge you. Our lives must be different than the unbeliever. The fourth thing we see there is unbelievers become callous. That is in the start of verse 19. An unbeliever becomes callous. They have no feelings for God. The longer a person walks away from God, the more the callous builds up in their life. The longer they deny God in their life, the more the callous builds up. There's been more than one occasion in this, in this building right here during invitation time. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. And I, and I see people in the auditorium. And it appears to me, I don't know, it appears to me that they might be under conviction. That maybe God has spoken to them in some way. Maybe the Holy Spirit has, 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 has said something to them. And they're, they're under conviction. Maybe they're lost or maybe they're believers, but they've been going down a road that's not supposed to be. And, and, and it appears to me that they're under conviction and yet, and yet there's no response during invitation time. In a sense, they've rejected the calling of the Holy Spirit. And they walk out that door, maybe they come back in a week or two or three, and they come back again, and the, the same thing happens, and, and no response, no response, no response. And the, and the longer you reject the calling or the urging of the Holy Spirit in your life, guess what happens? A callousness of the heart begins. And it's easier the next time to walk out the back door, and it's easier the next time to walk out the back door. And finally, we walk out the back door, and now we, there's no conviction. And I think, ah, I made it. I'm good now. No. Why is it so difficult to get an adult to accept Jesus, the Lord and Savior? Because our heart, for many, many years, has become calloused over the things of God. They've rejected the Holy Spirit so many times. They've said no to him so many times. And if they, they get it a little older and they go, ah, I just, I just, I'm, I'm good and I don't, I don't need to do this. I don't like to be convicted. Nobody likes that. And the adult now never accepts Christ as Lord and Savior. Jeff, we've got to get to them early, buddy. We've got to get to them now before they reach my age. Because those sins will pile up and pile up and pile up and that callus gets bigger and bigger. And they just don't seem to be able to Give their heart and life to Christ. What a sad, what a sad commentary. The more, the more a person lives in sin, the more acceptable sin comes. The more a person lives in sin, the more acceptable sin becomes. I want to get on my soapbox just for a minute, so just bear with me on this one, okay? <laughs> Unbelievers become callous. Did you know believers can become callous? You know, I was talking to somebody I don't know the other day, and they said, "You know, you know, Wednesday used to be the uh, church night, and that you didn't have any activities on Wednesday." I know when they hired me as basketball coach in Clinton, one of the first things he said is, "You can't practice very long on Wednesday because Wednesday's church night. Today, Wednesday's just another night." What has happened? 
you invite people to church? Yeah, I'll try. Uh, I, I, I got other things I got to do. I got other plans today, but yeah, I'll be there one of these days. Uh, I, I got to go do this and I got to go do that, but I, I, I'll come. You see, they become callous to the things of God. I would wish, just one time, that a mom or a dad or a grandpa and a grandma would say, yeah, my, my son or my daughter, my grandkids, yeah, they'll play on your team. They'll play on your team. And they'll play all day Saturday if you want them to play all day Saturday. But when Sunday gets here, Sunday is, is my day to go to church. And it's my day to take my kids to church. We won't be playing games on Sunday because my priority in life is to be in God's house on Sunday. I want to teach my kids and my grandkids. I want to pass a legacy down to them that says, no, Sundays are not about any other thing. Sunday is about being in the Lord's house and worshiping my God. That's a legacy I want to pass down to my kiddos and my grandkiddos. That it is a priority. It is important. It is God's word that says to be in God's house on Sunday. I also will challenge the adults. Yeah, I'll go play golf with you. I'll go hunt with you. I'll go fish with you. I know I'm going to step on some toes. I understand that. But one time, in, in, I would love to see some, people say, yeah, I'll play golf with you, hunt, fish, or whatever. All day, all day on Saturday, but not on Sunday. I'm not going to do it on Sunday. You see, when we say, yes, we will do those kind of things on Sunday, we are living just like the Gentiles. We are living just like the unbeliever, the sinful man, the person who rejects God. And when that becomes a habit and we just refuse to keep doing what we're doing, we are not shining a light for God. We are living like the Gentiles. And God's word says, do not live like those unbelievers. I challenge people today in our church to take a stand that says my priority is to be in God's house on Sunday morning. Not because you have to. Not because somebody's dragging me here, but because I want to be in God's house. I want to hear God's word preached. I want to hear God's word sung. I want to take a time and separate my life from this old world. I got to get out of this world for a while. And I can come into this auditorium and I can set my mind and my heart on God's things. And I can just go, oh. I'm not in the world for this hour in 10 minutes. I don't know about you, but I need that every Sunday that it happens. Christmas, Christians, we must never allow ourselves to become callous to the things of this old world. The fifth characteristic of an unbeliever. It says, unbelievers give themselves over to immoral living. Okay, immoral living without God's standards people will make up in their own minds what's right and what's wrong you know this I saw a thing on Facebook the other day this is a guy was asking a group of girls there 
Uh, what's your body count? What are you talking about? What's your body count? And what he was asking them was, how many sexual partners have you had as a young lady at the age of about 20? Six, eight, I think one said 20. You see, when you leave God out of the equation of your life, you will make up your own truth about what's right. And, 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 and all of that is okay. Living with whoever you want to is okay. Loving whoever you want to is okay because, because leaving God's standards out brings you to immorality in your life. First Thessalonians 4, 7, For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity or iniquity or sin, but sanctification, to be separated from this old world. Five characteristics of the unbeliever. My prayer is that none of those are tied to you. That is a picture of someone who is lost. And if they don't get saved, they're going to spend eternity separated from holy God. You see, Christian, we can't look like the world. Our lives cannot look like an unbeliever's life. We can't just, just kind of just blend in. And so many times we get caught in that, don't we? We have one world and one foot in our spiritual world that we know. But we've got one foot in our secular world. And we're trying to blend in with both of them. And you won't be happy in any, any world. You won't be happy in any world. You won't even be happy. Yeah, you might think you're happy here for a season. The only place that brings true happiness is when we have both feet in God's world. You see, Jesus... Paul is talking about here. We'll go to verse 20. Get something positive here. That is a characteristics of an unbeliever. But then he says, he tells the Ephesians, but you did not learn Christ in this way. You didn't learn him. If indeed you had heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in him. He's saying, fellow believers, Ephesians, fellow believers in Arapahoe first. He said, you didn't hear, you didn't learn Christ this way. When Christ was presented to you, you understood that Christ lived a perfect life. He came from heaven and he came down here and he lived a perfect life. And he gave us an example of what a perfect life looks like. And he gave us an example that said, this is, this is, this is the gold you are to shoot for, is to live a life that looks like me. And, and, and that's what we're supposed to be doing. And that's what Paul is saying. You didn't learn Christ like that. When, when He says, when you uh, heard the calling on your life in verse 21, and you, and you understood the teachings of Christ, and you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are a changed person, a new creation. You have a new heart and a new plan and all that kind of stuff I tell you every Sunday. You are different. You cannot live like the unbeliever, the Gentile. You cannot do it. And he tells us in verse 22. And he encourages them and he encourages us. And he says, lay aside the old self, Christian. Lay aside the old self. That old self is the way you were before you became a Christian. And he said, take those clothes off. The unbelieving clothes. Take those grave clothes off, if you would. 
and get rid of them. Stop pursuing sin. Stop rejecting God in your life or ignoring him in your life. Flee from immorality. Stop living however you want to live and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and submit your life to him and begin carrying your cross like he tells us to do. He said, get rid of that old stuff. You are dead to sin, Romans 6, 11. Consider yourself dead to sin, but alive to Christ. Believer, that's what he's telling you. Get rid of that sin. And when sin enters that life that you have, what do you do? You confess it and you forsake it and you repent it and he cleans you up and forgives you. And now you're again down the right road of living for for Christ. Get rid of that old stuff, he says. That doesn't belong to you anymore. Get rid of that junk in your life that you had before you were a believer. Sell it at an auction. Get rid of it. Take it to the dump. Whatever you got to do. Take those clothes off. Those grave clothes and get rid of them. And then in verse 24, he gives us a positive of what to do. He says, put on the new self. Get rid of those old grave clothes and put on the grace clothes. Put on grace clothes. He says, put on your new self, which is in the likeness of God. Created in righteousness and holiness and in truth. Christian friend, put on Christ in your life. Put on those new clothes and live a life of holiness and of righteousness and a life of truth. Paul will say in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, that's us, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself up for me. That's who we are, Christians. It is Christ living in you. We must live that way. Paul says a Christian should never, life should never look like an unbeliever's. An unbeliever's life, mind, is empty from the things of God. His eyes have been darkened for the gospel. His heart has become hard. His spirit has become calloused. And when that happens in a person's life, you will live an immoral, imperfect, dirty, polluted kind of a life. May it never be spoken to us as Christians about that. We are dead to sin We have a new heart. We have life that he's given to us. We have a life that calls us to pursue the things of God every day. We have a life that says we must transform our minds with the things of God, not the things of this old world. You see, we've looked at a picture of an unbeliever, but we also are seeing a picture of a a believer, are we not? That none of that should, should apply us in this old world today we need Christians that will stand up and be counted we need Christians that will stand up and be counted we need Christians that are not ashamed of the gospel we are living in a world right now that does not like us 
And they are doing everything in this world to make our life miserable. They would love to see everything about God and religion and the Bible removed from society. And that's where they're going one day. You see, as Christians, we've got to stand. We cannot be a people that compromise our faith. That's why I said Sunday's for, for God. That's why we are to live. We are to keep our minds clean for the things of God. It is so easy to compromise. But in this world, one of these days, it's going to be that it's going to cost a person his life when he becomes a Christian. Did you know that? I hope it doesn't come in our lifetime. I hope it doesn't come in our children's lifetime. But if the Lord tarries, if he doesn't come back, and I sure hope he does. But if he doesn't, those believers who accept Christ as Lord and Savior in the, tempta- in the tribulation, guess what happens to them? They lose their head immediately. They will make a choice. I will serve Christ right now and lose my head right now. You see, there's not going to be no compromise for those folks. Not a bit of compromise. I know what I'm doing. I'm accepting him. I know what, I know what my fate is. Off with the head with the Lord immediately. Last breath here, first breath there. We must be a group of people that do not compromise our faith. Because when we compromise our faith, when we, when we show our friends that we're willing to compromise, we show our friends, yeah, we'll go, we'll go do this and we'll go do this and we'll go do this. And we compromise our faith. Is that spreading the gospel? That is not. You see, if you were to ask God, God, what's, What's plan B for sharing the gospel around the world? You know what he would tell you? There's no plan B. Only plan A. And it's our responsibility to live a Christian life. It's our responsibility to share the gospel. Our responsibility not to compromise. Because there's nobody else that's going to do it. We must be strong in the Lord. That's all I got. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes, please. We begin our invitation time.